My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry, and I used to be a borrower, like from the borrowers. And this is Burn Notice, season two. A weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end when we'll explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast.gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That's burnnoticed with a D. It really is. It really is. So this is a first season two episode apart. Technically, only our second episode that we've ever recorded apart. Because mm-hmm. we recorded the first two episodes together. Too close it, together, if you ask me. Frankly. I think there was only frankly. one that was... There was only one that was too close together. No, both were too close. I've decided I like this distance between us. I would this, prefer your face to be at least 3,000 miles away from mine. Same. This is perfect. I like... <laughs> this is the per- perfect distance for our relationship. What's great is that not only is there all of this distance... But there's a lot of mountains, too. Like, there's mountains and rivers, and it's, like, it's not easy for us to get, like, for you to get to me anymore. <laughs> You're safe. You're finally safe. Exactly. It's a full-on, uh, like, Fellowship of the Ring journey to get. That's true. From, like, you to me. Or like a five and a half hour flight, you know. Exactly. One or, one one, one or the other. Uh, so do you want to talk wait, about... I thought like one of your... I thought like, much like vampires, one of your rules was that you could not get on airplanes. What are the That's rules of Brie like. Castellini? What can you and cannot... The rules... Cannot, oh man, there's there there are a lot of rules. Um, can you come I, into a building uninvited? Yes, but... Uh, only because um, I traded in my not being able to enter buildings for not being able to physically go to doors, like open doors. Um, I have concocted a number of schemes to make people think that, I, oh, I could definitely answer doors, but have you ever actually seen me answer a door? Mm, I don't think so. That's true. Actually, this is this is a tonight story. So we ordered dinner because Quinn and I are both sick. And um, I don't like going to the door in my pajamas, and neither does he. And so we usually like trade off who has to go like answer the door if we. Like, Why does he have something. to go to the door in your pajamas? <laughs> because we're kinky like that, and uh, I just did not want to go to the door tonight. And Quinn was like, "No, come on, you have to. It's your turn." And he was right; it was my turn. So what I did is I took one of my boobs out of my shirt and just left it there. And I was like, "I can't go to the door like this." And then he got frustrated and went to the door instead. So that's uh, that's how you win at a relationship, everyone. That's a spy tip from Brie Castellini. Have boobs. Have boobs. Take one of them out of your shirt and just leave it there impetuously. An impetuous boob. Petulantly. (laughs) Petulant. Jesus Christ. Have a petulant boob and use it to your advantage. What are your boobs' names again? Uh, I have to cut this out of the podcast because it's an actual person's name, but...
Butler and Velveeta. You need to like um, censor like it. The first, yeah, one. you need to bleep it. <laughs> okay, I'll leave it in. I'll leave this in. I'll, I'll bleep my boobs' names. Uh, I'm really glad that we're starting season two out with such such hot, hot, spicy, good stuff. Uh-huh. Aren't you guys glad you came back for season two? Uh, so today we're talking both about my boobs and about season two, episode three of Burn Notice called Trust Me, which aired July 24th, 2008 and was written by Craig O'Neill and Jason Tracy and directed again by Paul Houlihan for his second episode of the season. Uh, interesting to note only that Craig O'Neill wrote it, uh, wrote Wanted Man from season one. So it's safe to say my expectations were extremely high for this episode because Wanted Man, I think... I think was our both of our favorite episode of last season. Was, uh, was yeah, safe to was say? it also Jason Tracy too? I don't know. I didn't look at Jason Tracy because I did not care. <laughs> we all know who's really pulling the weight here. It's Craig Odiel. The uh, the IMDb description of this episode is not as fun as the last one that I got to do, but it is descriptive. Michael tries to help a man who lost the money he owes to a loan shark to a con man and blackmails a Pakistani spy in order to get information about his new operative. Meanwhile, Michael's mom asks Fee about their breakup. So that, that's it. If that's accurate. if it sounds complicated, it's because it sort of is, but not really. This is yeah. I mean, listen, I like this episode. This was a fun episode. Um I did too. But it's a it's a pretty run of the mill one, all things considered. I do really like it though. I this is one of my favorites that we've had in a while. And I think it is actually down to Craig O'Neill and I think Jason Tracy. Um, yeah, they they write the other characters so much more interestingly. It all seemed like it fit together really well. Like it was it was a well paced episode. Like there were a lot of plots that they were juggling, but I feel like they were all handled really well. And like a lot of like plot twists and escalations. Yes, actually, I think I have a note about that about how like this is how you escalate a plot line. It's Carla. So- yeah. Um, I think it's early days yet. We're still only in season two. Um, but I think these are my favorite writers for this show so far. Like, Interesting. Yeah, I, I think I would say that too. I get like more excited when they're doing it because just generally the episodes are like smarter. They're funnier. Uh, they just have a good sense of the characters and how to have fun. They really know how to have fun with this show. Yeah, I agree. Without, yeah, like, it still feels like a great Burn Notice episode, uh, but, like, doesn't have to be bogged down in, like, like, it, it feels structured, but not in a bad way. Like, I feel like anytime Alfredo or Maddie Nix, like, write an episode, it feels like they put, like, a formula down and they've, like, used tracing paper to write a new episode, but it doesn't feel like an actual story. Whereas these guys, like, recognize the structure. They, like, you know, peek at it every once in a while, but, like, it still feels like just, you know, television. Like, it still just feels like a good episode of a show. Exactly. Like, it, they, it feels like they would be good writers even outside of Burn Notice, whereas it feels like Maddie Nix and Alfredo are like, no, this is the thing. This is the only, the only thing we can do is just have a series of unrelated semi-spy-like actions happen one after another. Also, women are boring, so we're not going to write them. We're just so... going to look at them. We're just going to look at them. Um, So we start the episode with a series of super stuttery aerial shots of Miami. 
which was very confusing. I do not understand the editing choices for all of their B-roll. It's so like frantic and strange. It's like they're trying to mix up the fact that they use the same like three aerial shots in every episode. And it's like, guys, it's fine. It's Miami. We got it. You've established it. Let's move on. But like they always add some sort of really bizarre like filter or editing trick that just makes me wonder if my computer is dying or if this is just what the show looks like. And I have decided at this point, two seasons in, this is just what the show looks like. Yeah. And I don't love it. No, it's yeah. It's like we're going to start an episode and oh, Miami's upside down this week. (laughs) And then it flips around and then there's a cross dissolve. It's like, okay, thanks, iMovie. Uh, this is an interesting cold open because this cold open had like six spy tips in it, like on its own, like prior to the title credits. Like it was it was a lot. It was a jam-packed, action-packed cold open. So essentially, Sam and Michael are going to break into the Pakistan consulate so that um, so that Michael can get some deets now that he knows a little bit more about who Carla might be. Uh, and Sam makes a comment about how the only reason he's here is because he wants to give Michael and Fiona some space. Like, they, he thinks they need some space after their breakup. And Michael's like, we weren't dating. We, we aren't dating. And he does this the whole episode. Um, and, well, he's not wrong. He's wrong. They fucking broke up, Michael. Just, will you relax and just, like, accept this for what it is, a breakup? Uh, such a dramatic little boy. It's weird. Like, I agree they weren't dating. But I also agree that they broke up, which is interesting. Yeah. Two things can be true at the same time. You don't have to be, like, official boyfriend-girlfriend in order to break up. Like, a breakup is still a breakup, even if, like, there are no labels. And one of you is a former IRA member, and one of you is a former spy and sometimes you have really violent sex in a warehouse loft. That can still be a breakup. Yeah, it's true. So Michael's cover for this uh, consulate job that they're going to do is that he's a journalist who needs visas for like his crew to go overseas pronto. And he's a big asshole and he's wearing big glasses and a rather nice dark blue blazer that I wish he wore more often. Like Exactly. Looks, Jeffrey Donovan looks really nice in like these darker tones like for suits. Uh, he looks really nice. He looks cute as this little journalist guy. But Michael Weston wears beige Michael suits. Weston loves his gross beige linens. Ugh. This is an alias as someone who cares about clothes. Yeah, well. Well, no, he's had an alias like that before. Remember he had like a Gucci suit or whatever and it sucked. It was just like one of his normal suits, but they put like a... Uh, a nice label. Like, they stitched, like, a higher brand in there. What was it? I don't even remember what the brand was, but it was, like, some fancy brand. It was, like, Gucci or something. Yeah, but it definitely was not a good suit and was not a suit from them. No. Um, But anyways, so that's Michael's cover. And Sam's cover is that he's a loud asshole causing a stink. Pun intended. Uh, At one point during Sam's cover, because basically Sam makes a stink Why is he causing a stink? Why is that pun intended? Because uh, he's a loud asshole causing a stink. But why is that pun intended? Oh, because assholes stink? Yeah. I, I guess. I guess assholes stink. But that, that's a that's a stretch. And, oh, and something else that I noticed about Michael Weston's cover as, like, 
random journalist guy in this cold open is that part of his cover is that he's just holding a newspaper like every time he's like i'm a journalist from the miami herald he like waves the newspaper around as if like that's part of the proof like look i'm a newspaper man i hold newspapers that's what we do do you think the newspaper has an article with his name on it like with his fake name. Like that's what I was thinking. I was like, that would be great. Like I would love for him to have like done some prop work, like brought his own like fake newspaper to be like, look, that's my name. I'm this guy. Do you want to see my ID? Mm, don't, because the last time I tried to get a fake ID, I got a gun pointed at me. But don't worry about it. I'm definitely this guy from the Miami Herald. Look, I'm holding a newspaper and wearing this great blue blazer. To be fair, the last time he wanted to get a fake ID, he needed, like, a real good one. I bet if he needed to, he could just get a fake ID off, like, a 17-year-old. Are you sure? Because he might need to go to that, like, there's one, there's only one of these in Miami's shopping center. And, like, we both know that that, those can get pretty tricky if you burn, you know, the one good place. I think that the one, the only good shopping center is now run by a 17-year-old. (laughs) <laughs> he just hangs out. He's not even in a building. He just kind of hangs out with his skateboard. Anyways, so Sam basically... So Michael gets himself taken to the back of the consulate for some reason. Nobody asks him for anything. They're just like, yeah, come back here. Sam continues to make a stink in the lobby. So, like, the guy in charge, I guess, gets the head of security to come out and deal with Sam, who's being a loud asshole. Uh, conveniently leaves his office door open, even though he knows there is a dude, a journalist, that they're all kind of nervous about in, you know, the waiting area right next to his office. But that's fine. He's apparently the worst spy slash security officer ever because Michael has some sort of, he has a spy voiceover that's like, yeah, consulates, the head of security is like probably a spy. So like, that's who you should target if you're looking for a spy at a consulate. So I guess this guy's a spy and he sucks. So Michael gets into his office, steals a couple of files, writes some thing in Urdu on like the empty folder that he took the files from and uh you know sneaks everything out in his convenient newspapers that's why he brought the newspapers and uh you know that's the end of the cold open yeah and I'm really curious about the conversation that was had after they realized that the journalist was gone right because like the head of the consulate was probably like wait where'd that guy go didn't he didn't he need visas for his people wasn't that like a whole thing i guess he decided he didn't need it it's fine that we just lost him in the consulate what's fun about this cold open is that it feels like a redo of that season one cold open where um where he goes to the 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 general conference yeah the general conference the spy convention basically the spy yeah the spy convention but it's basically that but done competently yeah it's true i felt like oh yeah no this is how you do that although again like as much fun as this hold open was uh and i like wasim who's the you'll eventually learn is the name of the head of security um like the fact that he just walks out like knows he's going to leave his office for an extended period of time and just leaves his office door wide open with state secrets just like in there come on come on i mean okay but also i mean it wouldn't have taken that much time to have him pick a lock 
Yeah, but it like could have been an opportunity for like the you know him to like catch the door right before it closed or like, you know I don't know. But the point being is like we're basically banking on the success of this plan is the stupidity of the mark, which is not ideal for like a person who we're set up to believe is like a spy. Although kind of a lazy spy who just wants to hang out in Miami. I get the. I mean, I for g- sure. This guy has gone a little soft. He got soft. He got soft. <laughs> Post cold open. S- Michael is sneaking outside of his mom's house because he wants to get some car parts without, I guess, her knowing. Uh, and then, of course, she discovers him and is like, oh, good, you can stop by. Like, come on in. And Michael, you know, looks like he does not want to be there. And when he gets inside, the most delightful thing is happening. It is uh, four old women, including Madeline and Fiona, playing poker. And Fiona's getting fleeced. And they're just, like, having a girl's day, which apparently Michael is invited to, which is very funny. And um, before they can start playing, unfortunately, uh, which I would have loved to see. I would have loved to see Michael and Fiona just play poker with a bunch of old ladies. But Right. Uh, what one if that was the big, episode? That would have been great. That's the whole episode. It would episode. have been amazing. It's all in real time. It's a real time <laughs> episode. It's kind of like you know that episode, that episode of The Office, the dinner party episode, just mm-hmm. like that. Holy shit! The dinner party episode of The Office, but for burn notice. I think yes. it's perfect. Why is the show not still on? Our spec scripts for burn notice would have been fucking off the charts. Can we reboot burn notice? Is it okay? Can we? Are we? Jeffrey Donovan's been talking about a a rebooted either movie or series. Exactly. What if we, he's, what if they just gave, in. no one cares. They just like gave us, <laughs> USA gave us some episodes of Treadstone. We're basically working for them. <laughs> they should give us burn notice. It's not they a hot property anymore. People aren't clamoring for it. We should just show up and say, hey, you got this property here. No one's doing anything with it. What if we just, what if we just made a burn notice? It doesn't even have to be on USA. It could be on, like, some sort of start it streaming network. Start your own little streaming network. And then we'll just make a burn notice Just for for the burn notice reboot. The burn notice app. I think there was a burn notice app. I tried to find it. I think it used to be, like, a mobile game. I I think it's been discontinued. I wanted to download it for, like, a bonus episode. It's a real bummer. Um, Anyways, so before they can start playing poker and have this amazing episode of burn notice... One of the old biddies is like, oh, by the way, my grandson you know, owes money to some loan shark and it's a whole big problem. It's like an ad for life insurance where they're just all sitting around and like, like you know, my grandson is in trouble with loan sharks and now I'm worried about my life. It's like, well, you know, if, <laughs> if you get this life insurance, it helps you against loan sharks. Well, uh, unfortunately, that is not this show. This show, they kick ass and take names. And Michael is... Uh, unceremoniously volunteered to help by Fiona. They go outside to have a argument about this because, of course, Michael Weston does not want a job, ever. He never wants a job. And Fiona is basically like... What else is he doing? Why? It's like, you're not busy. Yeah, he's busy trolling the Pakistani spy. That seems to take an hour a day, at best. Like, he's able to do all of these things. Including commute. It takes an hour a day. Exactly. It doesn't seem like it takes that much. What is he doing? He's not doing laundry. So what is it? He's definitely not doing laundry or sleeping with Fee anymore. That's true. I guess he just like works out and eats yogurt. 
and like reads files and thinks about stuff really hard. Yeah, he just sits in the blackness. So basically, Fee convinces him to come along because she's like, no, listen, we have to take this job. You owe me. They have a short conversation about this. It's unclear that he owes her, but fine. Um, it's literally the opening to Wanted Man, but then Fee makes the argument like the the kid's in deep with a loan shark because he wanted to invest in his mom's retirement. And I like the idea of helping someone who put himself in, uh, who put his, somebody else in front of his own like needs and desires in like a really pointed way. And it's like, ooh, biting. That's yeah. the theme of the episode. And it's really good. I so, like that. I like, it's interesting that uh, these writers have decided that like, Characters need to have motivations. And that's, it's funny how that works in television, where characters need motivations. That's not something that, like, Big Daddy Nick's ever thought of. No, no. Big Daddy Nick does not think about motivation. He only thinks about the work, the spy work. Uh, the, so the spy we go... <laughs> the spy tips, which most of his suck anyways. Uh, but anyways, we, we go and we meet... First, we meet the client's mom, Diane, in a house full of cats that Michael has to, like, spend the entire scene trying to get off of him, which is very funny, just watching him, like, hold the cat. And, like, there's such panic in his eyes. Like, what do I do with this cat? <laughs> get it away from me, but also don't hurt it. it. It's just, it's it's a very funny, like, quiet visual gag happening in the background as this woman, like, tells him a very sad story about, like, her son getting beat up and all this stuff. It is and, part of the uh, spy code not to harm nature. <laughs> Yeah, don't shoot foreign operatives, do not harm nature. Those are, you know, big parts of the spy game, the unwritten spy rules. So we we learn that the debt is 200K. So her son, Andy, is is in deep for 200K to some loan sharks. Uh, Andy then enters with a black eye and is indignant about needing help, but our kids are on the case, so there's no going back. He doesn't have the money because he made an investment into a club, that was high risk, high reward, and was also all in cash because it was kind of illegal because the club that he invested in was set in Cuba. And that's apparently illegal to have a business in Cuba, I guess. Cause of yeah. Do you not, do you not remember that? Uh, there was some sort of missile crisis. I don't know. For a very long time, we could not have any business with Cuba. This is a very important thing. Well, I didn't know the details of it, but regardless, he that's he why got like in Cuban cigars are thing. like <laughs> supposed to be this thing. Like, a they're nice cigars, but also like they're illegal. Well, I knew that, but I listen. I'm not going to go deep into the details of what we can and cannot do with Cuba in this recap of Burn Notice. I'm not like questioning that. I'm questioning the fact that you seem to be completely unaware of it. Is all. Well, I knew there was illegal stuff, but like. Again, the details are not things that I have concerned myself with in my life. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so basically what went down is that Andy started going to this club owned by a guy named Zeke, which is a great name for a bad guy. Yes. Zeke is a great name in general. Like the name Zeke. <laughs> it, it's would a never name a name. child that, but would name a dog that. Oh, for sure. Zeke is a great dog name. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the guy's name and identity? The... The guy from Lost? No, do not. The character it's all name. Gone. I could have sworn that Zeke was a name that we'd heard before. Like, it's, it just feels like the name of a guy that we've met already on Burn Notice. But anyways. So Burn Notice, the, the world this, of Burn Notice is full of Zekes. They're out there. Like, 
25% of Miami is Zeke. I buy that. So anyways, so Zeke owns this club that Andy started going to a few weeks, months back. 80% of Miami is clubs. (laughs) Yeah. I would say closer to 90 based on what we have seen. No, some are restaurants. (laughs) Well, some are restaurants and clubs, as we know from uh, that episode where Madeline gets, gets hers. Yeah. How Madeline got her groove back. How Madeline got her groove back, exactly. So, um, anyways, Zeke owns a club. Andy started going to the club. Andy got in on, like, a small-time thing for, like, $5,000 and started getting paid dividends. Like, it was, like, really making him money. So when Zeke comes to him saying, like, hey, I've got this Cuba thing. Do you want to make even more money? He was like, hell yeah, dude. I trust you. Your name is Zeke and you own a club. This is definitely all on the up and up. So uh, because it's in Cuba and it's illegal, he had to give him the money in cash. So he took out the loan from the loan shark, brought his 200K in cash over to Zeke's house. But, uh, oh, no, they got raided by the FBI. He was shuffled out. The FBI confiscated the funds. But, you know, at least he's not going to jail. Half of that story, Michael actually tells to Andy because he realizes midway through the story, oh, yeah, you were definitely conned. That was not the real FBI. That was Zeke and some buds. Like, like this dude he was very obviously conned. Yeah, no, he was for sure really obviously got like, well, I mean, Andy is another like ding dong client, like throughout the episode, like people will say things to him and he's like, huh, what do you mean? Just like to have a characteristic, I guess, because otherwise Andy is like fully unremarkable as a character. The thing about Andy, though, is that like the last time we had like a ding dong client, he was kind of young or something. And so it kind of like played and was like, oh, he's like this young kind of bro, whereas like, Andy looks like he is from the House of Representatives. Like, he <laughs> looks like a Republican congressman. I was going to say he looks like a teacher from the same school as the, the guy that allegedly Michael was a student with back in the day. Yeah, like a junior teacher. You know a junior teacher? That's a position. Right. Um. So, yeah. So, that's what happens. Uh, and so, well, we got to go meet Zeke at the club. So, yeah, my, he and Michael... Me and Michael go to the club, and be, uh, oh, and the other thing I guess that's important is that um, Andy mentioned that he's got this. Uh, Zeke has like a safe in the back, like in the back of the club with with all the money in it. Probably in the back of the what? Like yeah, he the club. Oh okay, the club. Yeah, the club. He has a his safe in the back of the club with all the money. Uh, or at least all of some money that he showed off to Andy once. And uh, Andy's like, oh, yeah, I bet he has the money back there. Like, I know where it is. You just have to figure out a way to get back there. So they try to figure out a way to get back there. Because at this point, it's basically kind of a heist. Yeah, which is fun. I enjoy that. So they, they're they kind of scoping things out. And before they get eyes on Zeke, Fiona is basically pointing out every hot girl in the club being like, oh, she's cute. Oh, she's also cute. Michael's like, what? What's happening right now? Are you pointing out girls for me? And she's like, uh, you have to get back out there eventually. Which feels like it's being said by a character who has never met possible demisexual Michael Weston. It is also, I really want to stress that the line that Michael says is, are you picking out girls for me or for you? That's true. That's very cute. But yeah, like, so, so Fiona's whole thing, like, oh, well, you have to get back out there eventually, like... That doesn't sound like a thing that Michael Weston has to do at all. He doesn't want to be with you, and you know how much he loves you. Like, what part of Michael Weston 
do you think like, oh yeah, that's a dude who wants to like settle down. Like that's a dude who like needs a girlfriend to go on dates with sometimes and like buy groceries together. Like that's not at all something he's looking for in his life. I have a theory that he's actually demisexual. He only is sexually attracted to people who he has a deep emotional connection with, which is why the only two people he's ever shown any remote amount of interest in are Fiona and sad Lucy Lawless who got him in the like daddy issues bone. This is true. I do think like what's going on with Fee is that this is like clear behavior of someone who wants to project the idea that they've moved on. Right. Without actually moving on. Exactly. She needs to show like, oh, I'm so cool with the fact that like we're not a thing anymore. We can hang out and not be dating. It's fine. In fact, you should have sex with someone else who's not me. It's fine. What about that one? Have sex with her. I don't care. You should see, like, see, see how much I don't care. I'm telling you to. That's how much I definitely don't care and won't think about you having sex with someone else. Not going to happen. Don't care. Do it. Go ahead. That one. Do it. Do it. Let me watch. I mean, what? So finally, a wild Zeke appears, uh, played by a guy who's also on Lucifer for a couple of episodes. So so it's just a a Lucifer-packed season. Actually, like, spoiler alert for, like, my episode next week, one of the writers wrote for Lucifer. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting how these two shows share so much. There's something in both of them that attracts you. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's procedurals. Uh, So Fee is going to take it from here while Michael goes to meet his Pakistani spy. So Fee is going to do, like, sort of a first pass at trying to get the shit out of, or at least, like, scope out what's going on in the back room and that kind of stuff. Ideally, everything's done right now. She's like, you meet your spy, I'll do it. I'll seduce this guy or whatever. I'll steal the money. What are you going to do? We'll be, we'll have this done in an evening. Michael goes to, like, meet... The Pakistani spy, whose name is Wasim, at, I think, a restaurant this first time. And Wasim is totally unmoved by Michael's trade. Like, he basically wants to trade the bullshit files that he stole for Carla's good file. Because his reasoning is, like, any file that goes missing, no matter how bullshit, is, like, a problem. It's de- it's technically a security leak. So, you know, I have the leverage. He's going to look like a fool. He has to give me Carla's file. And Wasim's like, no, bro. Like, that shit does not matter at all. Like... Who cares about agricultural reports or whatever? Like, this lady sounds, like, crazy important. I'm definitely not just giving you her file. And Michael's like, oh, well, that's a bummer. But we do learn one thing in this scene, which is that Wasim really likes Los Angeles. Uh And Michael thinks, hmm, maybe I can use this to my advantage. Uh, We go back to Fee and Zeke. Fee with a weirdly unconvincing British accent for a literal British actress. Right! Gets her way into the back... (laughs) I assume that's the joke. It's like... It's such a bad accent. Whenever uh, they would have uh, James Marsters on Buffy do an American accent. Hi, I'm a friend of Xander's. It's just, it's a lot. Uh, It's also unclear why she's British. Like, there's no need for it. It's just fun. Like, Fee just wants to do something different. I think another thing, perhaps, about... You had mentioned earlier that these writers have more fun with the side characters. I do think, like, Mm -hmm. they write a slightly wackier fee. Oh, for sure. Yeah, she's definitely like a little bit more unhinged in their episodes, which I really appreciate. Fee gets her way into the back room. Everything's going great. The problem is she brought a bobby pin and he has an electric card reader. So this is going to take a little bit more working with and I guess they're going to have to regroup. Never bring a bobby pin to an electric card reader fight. That's... 
I have that. That's what I my that's what my grandpappy always said. My grandma made a embroidery of that. <laughs> it's on a pillow. It's really it's exactly. it's, it's really classy. Uh, so the next morning, back at the loft, the gang mulls over their failures. Fee can't go back to the club alone to try again to get to the back room because she's kind of already been made. And Zeke only lets girls and marks into the back area. So they need someone to play the fool. Michael does like a cocky finger gun at Sam like, haha, you're going to be the fool when Fee is like, yeah, so Michael, you'll be perfect. I'll see you tomorrow night and just like walks away. And Sam is like, ha, fuck you. And Michael like looks kind of genuinely disappointed. But then I also was thinking like, wait, why is Fee in charge? Michael can just say, oh, no, I'd rather Sam be the fool. Like, he doesn't fight back at all. He's just like, oh, I guess I'll be the fool. Yeah. Like, no further conversation is had. I kind of love that. I don't know if, like, the implication is that, like, Fee was the closest and she assessed the situation. And so, like, he's just bowing to the fact that if she says that it has to be Michael, it has to be Michael because that's, like, spy code or whatever. But, yeah, he just, like, accepts it. He's like, oh, I have to do the thing. <laughs> Even though I'm the boss. <laughs> it's uh, it's good. It's very good. And the cocky I'm, finger gun. I'm Boo-Boo the Fool now. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it was, a, it was an extremely wonderful moment. Uh, but then uh, they get a call from Diane, the mom, because some men are on their porch and they're like hiding out. So Sam and Michael rush uh, to save them. In this scene, we meet Baranski, the lone shark. Not played by Christine Baranski. And which was. No, unfortunately, which would have been so good. Can you imagine Christine Baranski as a lone shark, like shooting out dudes' kneecaps? Are you kidding me? I imagine it every night in some mornings. Yuck. Anyways, not Christine Baranski is beating up Andy with his thugs because he has not gotten his money back. And Michael, in a, dare I say, Treadstone-level fight sequence, gains the upper hand and gets them to back off for a few days. He's basically like, look, I'm also a guy that can do punches, so leave this guy alone for a few days and you'll get your money. And they're like, okay, guy who can do punches. I buy that. I listen to you, punch It was a pretty man. good fight sequence. It was. Uh, yes. It was, it was like, it was well shot. Like, it, you know, it worked. I was very impressed. Good job, Bird Notice. Exactly. So then Michael, Michael third wheels Wasim in an endearingly cheerful way. Uh, Wasim is on a date with some girl, and Michael like lays down next to them and starts eating all of their food and hands him an envelope and is like, look. They're in the park. That's why they're all laying down. Yeah, they could be laying down somewhere else. I wanted to leave a little bit to the imagination. Uh, anyway, so Michael's like, all right, fine. You didn't go for my gambit. I get it. Here's all your files back. And so he hands him his files back in an envelope, a moment which is captured by Sam, who's across the street. This old chestnut. It's blackmail time. He is smarmy as fuck in this scene. It's very good. Yeah, he's he's so just like bubbly and like, I'm having a great time. Well, see, aren't you having a great time? I'm having such a good time. In the next scene, Michael is like, He's got like a wetsuit style thing that he's putting stuff into because he knows that he has to break into a safe. And do you understand what's happening in this scene? He's like talking to Andy while like putting on like a bodysuit with pockets that he's like putting stuff into like a concealed like. You know, I didn't question it. That has compartments in it that he just puts the safe cracking stuff into it's i think i i 
didn't like once question it. I think I just thought, well, that's a spy suit. I didn't even like it. Didn't even occur to me. Like it's just it's just Michael in a spy suit. You know, it's like a utility belt, but like a suit. Maybe he's always wearing one of those. Maybe. Um, I wish they would have talked about it because this seems like something that might be very useful. Anyways, so Andy gives him a bunch of shitty cell phones as like a thank you because I guess he works in an electronics store or something. And he's like, if you can find a use for burner phones, like here you got them. And Michael's like, oh, I can find a use for them. And then doesn't thank him. Because this is also a benchmark of these writers, of Craig O'Neill, is that people do, like, kind of thoughtful things for each other, and no one says thank you. Like, Craig, who hurt you? He, Craig came from a family of, it was just a very close no one family, says thank no you. one said thank you. Love means it's never having to say thank you. Maddening. <laughs> Craig's family has that embroidered on a pillow. <laughs> So many pillows this episode. Uh, Then Madeline drops by and interrogates him about Fiona and why they broke up. She's the best thing in your life. Uh, And then Michael responds, you're the best thing in my life. And gives her like the goofiest smile. Like, am I going to get away with this? He does not get away with it. But it's an extremely funny moment, which I think is going to be the like uh, screenshot that I used to promote this episode. Because he's just like standing there in his like half button suit just being like, Mom, you're the most important thing in my life. Huh? Huh? See, when I read that scene as like knowingly trolling her. I think it can be a little of both. Failing one, then the other. Yeah. Madeline does not get what she wants out of this scene. So she's like, fine, I'll talk to Fiona. And Michael's like, okay. Don't, please. One thing for sure about that, about that line is that, like, Nixon Barrios would not write it. No, they for sure would not. Uh, because they don't have any fun. No fun Maddie Nix. That's what I've always heard. So, back at the club, Fiona's bad British accent introduces Zeke to a guy named Davis. Quote, some oil baron's kid who has a Texas accent and is Michael Weston. So Michael Weston, as Davis, introduces himself to Zeke in a super weird exchange that seems to happen for absolutely no reason. Zeke answers a call from a person he identifies as Honey Bear during, like, their introduction to one another. And Michael takes the phone, talks onto the phone that Zeke will have to call her back Honey Bear, and then puts the phone into a drink. And it's just, like, a bizarre display of dominance aggression and then zeke apologizes to him and he's like do you want to come back to my super exclusive back room you seem fine it yeah what? i think it is i think like i think it's a ploy of just like i'm kind of a crazy volatile guy like i, I can... mean it's unhinged and i like it i like when michael's unhinged exactly it's not it's not like attacking the roof of a car with a baseball bat unhinged but it's not that, that was that's best unhinged sure 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 yeah, no, Davis, I like Davis. Davis is good. T- Davis's accent sounds like your Texas accent. It does. Which is... It, they're both extremely bad and perfect. Exactly. Um, so once they get back to the uh, private area, Fee gets the key card and Michael gets to the safe. Unfortunately, the safe is not necessary to break into because it's already open and full of fake cash. So Michael's shit out of luck and he calls Sam and he's like, well, fuck this guy. I'm going to at least bug his office. So he bugs Zeke's office with his cell phone by like 
plugging the power into his computer and like hiding it in the CPU and also like calling Sam so that like they can keep the line open and that'll be how they, um, they like listen to the bug. But as all of this is happening while Michael's like in the back, like wiring shit up to a computer, Fiona calls and is like, Hey, Zeke has partners apparently. And they just got to the club and they are identified by a lower third for some reason that is just Zeke's on the first line and partners on the second line which is just a very bizarre lower third introduction for some reason. And so Michael's like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll hurry up. Then, and these guys uh, seem like more legit than Zeke. Because they're older and wear less good clothes. Exactly. Zeke, I know I've seen this actor in a bunch of things. The guy who plays Zeke. Oh, yeah, he's in everything. But I can't, like, place any specific role. But I immediately was like, oh, you. Lucifer. Was he in Lucifer? <laughs> no, he's he was the ex-husband of Lucifer's therapist. In Lucifer? Yeah. In Lu- <laughs> so Michael Fireman carries Fiona out because he catches Fiona and Zeke getting a little handsier than he's comfortable with. And he's like, all right, bye. And then. But like leave. in character as like an asshole. So he's like, nah, I'm going oh, yeah, to take this little filly. I'm going to ride her. <laughs> and then grabs her and takes He doesn't her. quite say that, but he might as well have. Yeah, I mean, that was the uh, I wish he had used Philly. I wish he had used the word Philly to describe Fiona. Would have been horrifying and perfect. Well, he's so from Texas. The next he's day, a, he's uh, from Colleen, Texas or some such nonsense. <laughs> so they regroup the next day and they have a new plan. They're going to do the I'll show you mine if you show me yours with Zeke's money. Con the con med. And then there's a yogurt spotting. So there's a yogurt in this episode. There's a yogurt. I remember watching this episode and thinking about how, like, oh, yay, it, there's con men. I love when there's con men. And then again, even more, I was like, oh, they're going to con the con men. And we were thinking, man, this show would be fun if they were just doing cons and con, con men and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, that's just leverage. I just invented leverage. <laughs> I had the exact same thought as I was watching this episode. Like, oh, oh, that's why this is a good episode, because it's leverage. Leverage is a good show. I wish it was streaming still. If we started talking about leverage instead of burn notice, would anyone notice? <laughs> now that they're going to do like full con, you know, Davis is getting conned by Zeke. Michael and Charles Finley, his money man, meet with Zeke in the closed bar. And Charles makes it clear that he's not comfortable with this deal. So they walk away because they want to show Zeke that they're serious money people. Charles Finley is like a lawyer that oversees his trust. Nothing that, like, Davis does can happen without a signature from Charles Finley. Do you think it's a problem that, like, practically for them that Sam always uses the same alias? I hope so in future seasons because I think that would be super funny that someone has, like, a Charles Chuck Finley sightings blog. (laughs) Exactly. Like, because, like, surely all these bad guys are doing research on their, like, on these people and, like... If someone just, like, Googles Chuck Finley and it's like, oh, who is this guy? He does everything. He's like Barbie. The two most accomplished people in business are Barbie and Chuck Finley. Power couple. So in the next scene, Fiona gets to Madeline's house for another poker night with the girls. But it turns out that she actually got there a little bit early because Madeline wants to talk to her about her and Michael's breakup. Nothing really happens in this scene except for Madeline, I guess, finally comes to accept that they have truly broken up because Fiona is tired of playing second fiddle to Michael's job. And Madeline's like, I understand that. Even though, does she? 
I don't I know. I guess playing second fiddle like in Michael's life, but that's not the same thing. I don't know. Madeline accepts it, so cool, I guess. Um, that plotline doesn't really go anywhere. It, it doesn't. It's like uh, we're both women who know Michael, and we know how hard that is as women. Exactly. I will say I really enjoy the fact that for some reason Madeline and V are just friends. Like, Fee goes to their poker night, like, for, mm-hmm. even after they've broken up. Like, she just really likes spending time with Madeline and her old bitty friends. Yeah, it's extremely cute. I think Fiona, like, because we get the sense that I think she had, like, a pretty big family over in Ireland. And I think she's kind of lonely, you know? Uh, well, she doesn't she's really have anyone here. Exactly. But, like, yeah, I think that, like, she, I think she misses, you know, having people. And I think that Madeline is sort of, like filling a need for her Hmm. and i think that's sweet it is so so then we go meet up with wasim again who's out on a date with a different girl this time so that we can show off the blackmail that we've been that we've taken of him uh wasim really wants to stay in la michael really wants the file so now wasim has a decision to make and then michael leaves and nothing else happens but we have established the fact that like hey wasim you need to deal with something. Otherwise, this is going to get, like, out of hand very quickly. One thing I like about this scene is that part of the blackmail is that uh, not only are there pictures of Michael and Lasim, but also Michael has now paid for Lasim's dinner. Like, he's bought him dinner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I cannot think of another television show in the history of television that is as concerned with who pays for dinner and lunch checks than Burn Notice. Like, Burn Notice is so concerned with people picking up the check. Like, it likes, almost as much as, like, Psych loves food, Burn Notice loves talking about paying for food. They really do. It comes up in, like, nearly every episode. God, I want to know what these characters are doing nowadays now that we have Venmo. (laughs) It's going to change their whole world. So uh, now we go to Charles Finley and Zeke who meet up again and Charles basically gives him the like, this is how this is going to go speech where he's like, we're going to set up an account and I need to know that you're serious about this. So I need you to put matching funds for what we're going to give you into the account first so that we can see that like, you know, there is... There, there's equal partnership here. And Zeke is like, oh, well, I don't put up my own money. That's kind of how this works. But I also take less of a cut, blah, blah, blah. And Charles Finney's like, no, no, no. I got to see your 200K before I show you my 200K. Otherwise, no deal. Zeke is like, uh, I don't know. We cut back to the loft where we're listening to Zeke's bug. And it turns out Zeke doesn't actually have the money. His partners do. And Zeke's trying to get them to authorize him to use it just, you know, for a little bit until they can land this sucker. And Zeke's partners, experienced con men, none of them are like, well, this sounds like a con. This sounds like something that we would do. That is the thing about all these stories about conning con men is that con men seem very susceptible to conning. Yeah. Although I will give leverage a little bit, uh, you know, more leeway here in that, like, the way that they run stuff is so much more comprehensive and, like, fast talking and all that kind of stuff that, like, I can see how you get swept up in that. Whereas burn notice cons are a lot slower. And it's like, I feel like there's a lot more space and time to question this in this show. It's a lot less detailed. Especially since, like, Michael and Fee are so knowledgeable about cons that when Andy tells them about the admittedly very obvious con, they're like, yeah, we know how this goes. 
But when they run like a similarly obvious con on like these guys, everyone's like, ah. I mean, it kind of makes sense that like Zeke is just the face and kind of an idiot. A lot of idiots in this episode. Yeah, a so, lot of a lot of ding dongs. Um, so yeah, so we we hear Zeke is like asking his partners to give him the money back just for a little while, just to you know sink this sucker. But the partners are like, no, we're not going to do it. So either he gives us the money without us, you know, putting ours in first, or we you just cut him loose. Like it's not worth it. And Zeke's like, ah, okay. Um, so the that's got to be a problem for them because obviously the whole reason that they're doing this is they need the 200k to pay back the loan shark speaking of the loan shark all of a sudden michael gets a phone call it's from not christine baranski who has kidnapped andy's mom as collateral to make sure that they pay on their debts michael manages to get them a little bit more time but now the stakes have gone up and that is how you run this kind of operation, Carla. You don't just kidnap someone in the beginning and then like continually call and remind us that you've kidnapped someone. Like we get it. Like if you're gonna kidnap someone first, the next thing you do is like send us a body part, you know? Like something new has to happen in order for us to feel the tension. It can't just be, hey, remember, a bad thing is happening. Also, it works for me too because Andy's mom is the only person that I care about. Andy's mom is very endearing and also, like, not stupid. Andy's mom is the only yeah, person she... who isn't an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Like, she is the true victim in all of this. So we got to get Andy's mom back. We got to get this money. We got to deal something. We, we got to do something. So Michael takes Barry out for lunch, old Barry. This is the first time that we've seen Barry in several episodes where he's actually used for the reason that we know that he is used. Uh, and it's to fake putting $200,000 into a bank account. And Barry's like, yeah, I could do that. And that's cool. The other thing that we learned from this scene is that apparently Barry used to be called Bad Check Barry. It's really is... good. It's a really good joke because Barry's like, I I don't know if I can fake this. I can't fake pass like a bad check like this. And he's like, you were called Bad Check Barry. <laughs> it's like a like something like an improv scene would have. Like some, you know, somebody saying not doing yes and and the other person like aggressively forces them to yes and. Like, no, 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 you can do this. You were called bad check very. It's a really good joke. Uh, so now they've kind of changed the con up a little bit. At the con, the fake money is transferred just fine. Zeke calls some girls to celebrate when he's actually calling his partners dressed up as the FBI to come like raid the facility. But uh, Sam, dressed as the police, gets to them first. Things are starting to get a little bit wacky. Then they fake murder the FBI guys in like a big car explosion. AKA um, Zeke's partners. Yeah. So they, they blow up Zeke's partners, allegedly, to like freak Zeke out into thinking that he his con worked a little too well. And Davis Michael is like, hey, did you know the FBI were onto you? Don't worry. I took care of them. Uh, so where's the money? And Zeke like freaks out and Michael's like, listen, I paid some people to kill the FBI and now they want to get paid. So like, I need the 200K that you said that you had or blah, 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 blah. He's like, I need the money now. Like, get me the money. And Zeke's like, oh God, you killed the FBI. Definitely. Um, okay, I'll get you your money. So they go out to the club. We find the yeah. real Michael's safe. doing a very good job of being an unhinged, crazy Texan. Yeah, AKA but like in like a way that's not overdone. Like the, the episode where he's like, you know, 
putting a bat through a car like he's like at an 11. Here, he's just as unhinged, but his performance is closer to like a five or a six, which is honestly more terrifying because he's like kind of a calm unhinged. Yeah, it's less cartoony. Like I buy it. Yeah, for sure. So Zeke gives him all the money in the safe, which is a little bit over $200,000. And um, they take the money and run. Then Zeke drinks alone in his office to mourn his fallen partners when (gasps) they walk through the door. And then all of them kind of figure out at the same time that they've been conned. And the scene ends with uh, Zeke kind of muttering to himself as his partners close the door to the office. I guess presuming that they like murder him or something. I don't know. But Zeke's in trouble and it's not going to go good for him. But it's fine for Michael and Co. Like, no one is ever trying to get that money back, ever. Yeah, they're like, oh, weird. it's gone. We're ever, every, yeah, everything is gone. Like, I guess that's it for us. The one con we've ever pulled, all the money is gone. So I guess we, you know, throw in our hat. What if there's just an, a series of escalating cons? Or, like, they con Michael out of the money, and then Michael has to con them out of the money, and then just keeps getting more and more ridiculous. That would also be an excellent version of this episode. Uh, then we have a happy reunion between mother and son. Nothing happens here. The money is turned over and uh, Diane is home. Yay, Diane. Then there's an unhappier reunion between mother and son as Michael and Madeline do dishes together. And she like is moping about his breakup, even though I guess she's accepted it now. And then she has this weird moment with Michael where she, like Fiona, I guess, assumes that Michael is definitely someone who is going to settle down and have kids. And this should happen in the near future with someone who's not Fiona at, uh, you know, if it can't be Fiona. And it's sort of a nice moment. And then Michael leaves. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like, have any of you met Michael Weston, like at all? This is not his steez whatsoever. Like, you're going to have way more luck with Nate. Nate is definitely someone who wants to settle down. Not good. He's not going to be good at it, but he's definitely someone who's like, oh, yeah, I can see myself with, like, a pick a fence and all that kind of stuff. Um, So then we get to the final Wasim scene. The files have been delivered. All of Carla's big fat files have been handed over to Michael. Michael hands over the negatives of the photos because I guess we're still in olden times where there are he, he didn't take digital photos. He took like actual film camera photos of the black. It's blackmail. 2008. Yeah. <laughs> it's 2008. It's practically pioneer times. And uh, they, he may have finally found Carla's cover. So all things are looking up. And then that's that's the end. That's the end of the scene. Although, have we ever talked about the fact that the end credits of Burn Notice are in the default font for iMovie? No, but that's amazing. Because they are. It's like, it's there's like a, I don't remember what the actual font's called, but like there's a default font to all of the text that you can enter into iMovie. And it's the font that they use for the burn notice end credits. So I like to imagine that all the weird editing choices are just because iMovie is not a good editing software. God, if they were editing, like they, they weren't. There's no way that anyone was editing this show on iMovie. Like this show was not edited in iMovie. But... If it was edited in iMovie, that would make so much sense. (laughs) Exactly. All right, let's run through these spy tips really quick. There aren't many rules in the spies game, but there are agreements that most intelligent agencies honor. Low-level agents get traded, not prosecuted. You don't shoot foreign operatives if you can avoid it, and you stay away from embassies and consulates. So this is nothing, but also it feels like a lie, because, like, isn't half of spying, like, 
breaking into consulates and like shooting up foreign operatives who you're like against. Yeah, I I mean, cards on the table. I'm Chris Cherry. I co-host a show. <laughs> I co-host a show about burn notice. A show about a spy. I don't know a lot about spies. Maybe that means I shouldn't be doing this. But oh well. I don't yeah. know. Well, how are we going to learn about spies unless we do this, Chris? That's true. That's why, I, that's why I wanted to be on this podcast to learn more about how to be a spy. I am hoping by the end of this podcast that I am basically a spy. Like, this Yeah, is... that's the end goal. Exactly. We're going to be spies by, by the end. By the, by the season finale, we will no longer say, I used to be a spy. We will say, and I have now learned to be a spy. Exactly. That's the arc of this show. Mm-hmm. That's the character arc that we're going for. All right. Spy tip number two. Consulates are a great place to renew your visa, do your taxes back home, or find foreign spies working under diplomatic cover. Which is, why it would be a good reason for spies to go to them. Yeah, that's that's my thinking exactly. exactly. I don't think this is practical. It's just like, hey, consulates exist. Okay, here's the thing, though. If I, for some reason, got, like, a job in the UK and, like, but was still a U.S. citizen and, like, had to pay taxes, I would know to go to the embassy or the consulate. And I I know that because of this show. But is that a practical spy tip or is that just a practical tip for someone living in a country that they do not pay taxes in? All I know is I learned something. Do you want to count it? Uh, well, it's not the spy part that's practical. So, yeah, no. You're right. But yeah, it's yeah, like, it's not a good spy tip. Do your taxes back home. <laughs> but it's a good, like, non-spy tip. Sure. Uh, okay. So, number three. Like all bureaucrats, consulate employees live in fear of a pissed off journalist. So, this one is one that I'm on the fence about because, like, it is useful to know, I guess, that, like, journalist is a good cover if you want to scare consulate people and also bureaucrats. But. So would, would, you, would you, I mean, it's it's pretty thin, but I don't know. It, like, it feels like you could, that's a jumping off point, you know? Like, okay, well, I'll start with journalists and then I can build everything else around it based on my own particular spy situation. It does seem like a high risk, high reward situation because if anyone questions it game baby you have to have a copy of the miami herald that you've doctored to have your name on it well that's why you have a copy of the miami herald that you've doctored to have your name on it that's true obviously i'll give you this one okay uh number four most of the people who work in a consulate are just municipal drones enjoying an overseas post but the head of security that guy is almost always a spy so this is another one that i'm on the fence about because like if true useful information yeah, I think if true, I agree. Yeah, I'll give you this one too. Cool. Ooh, wow, you're you're so giving tonight. I like this episode. Um, I did like this episode too, so I, I, I have a vested interest in seeing it do well. Uh, number five, one job of a security chief is babysitting the secrets. If one goes if one file goes missing, it's a big deal, even if it's just boring transactional data. Steal a bunch of files, no matter how important, you've got leverage. Play your cards right, and you can trade what you've got for what you It was want. right in front of our faces the whole time. Leverage. Leverage. Yeah, I mean, this is a good tip too. It's like, hey, steal whatever, use it for other stuff. 
I wonder if part of this is that, like, a lot of times we'll get tips and we're like, well, yeah, duh. Is that even a tip? But you and I don't know anything about consulates. So any tips evolving really, <laughs> involving really basic stuff about consulates, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, that is useful. Because, like, we've never had to deal with a consulate in our lives. Well, I don't even know. It's a good thing that we're the hosts of this show. I don't know for a fact whether or not consulates and embassies are the same thing. He uses them interchangeably in the first spy tip, but I do think that they are technically different. I don't if only know. there was somebody still doing a podcast that could that answer, answer questions, our questions like this. I don't know, yeah, but like, because I legitimately don't know the difference. I don't either. Uh, spy tip number six. In any covert operation, your first concern is remaining undetected. And then there's a bunch of stuff I didn't want to take down because then he gets caught by his mom. This is the tip that goes over him trying to sneak around his mom's house. This is nothing. Yeah, of course you want to go undetected. You're a fucking spy. That's like the whole thing. Yeah, that's like the literal whole thing, Michael. Uh, number seven, exploiting an asset is easier when they have a vice, an addiction you can feed. Drugs, money, respect, women. No. I feel like we've seen a version of this before. Yeah, it's not. I Exactly. It's not Here, I want to be like, duh. Because <laughs> we know a lot about respect in women. Exactly. But nothing about consulates. Um, Nothing about consulates or embassies or what the difference is. Number eight, getting into a secure area is all about giving yourself a reason to be there. Why sneak past guards when you can just spill a martini? This is another one where it's like, have a reason to be the place that you're not supposed to be. This is like a tip every other episode. Yeah, no, fuck that. Uh, A hairpin is one of the most versatile tools in a thief's arsenal. It can be as good as a key as long as the lock is in an electronic card reader. Uh, So a lot of these spy tips this episode are like plot based. Like this is nothing. But like a lot of them are like much more just like cheeky transitions, which they're actually much better written than in most episodes. But a lot of them are not super practical. They're setups for like like punchlines. Yeah, exactly. Which makes it good, but not practical, unfortunately. Although this one, I will say, is practical. The key to -to hand-to-hand combat is closing the distance between you and your opponent without putting them off their guard. Yeah, actually, that's useful. That's smart. Yeah, I like that one. That's useful, yeah. You know, for when you and I have to do hand-to-hand combat. Exactly. We have to go fight the Piggly Wiggly. (laughs) Fight me! Uh, Number 11. There are two schools of safe cracking. Some people like to beat the lock. Some people like to break it. Okay. I would give it I would give them this one if they like went into any detail about what that meant. Yeah, exactly. Uh they do not. So they get nothing. Number 12. Real counterfeit money isn't cheap, but when you want to fake a stack of cash, a single $100 bill on top of a stack of filler will do. This feels kind of obvious. Like, hey, fake the fake the money. Although like I think again if I needed to like fake a bunch of money really quickly, like, I might look back on this episode and be like, oh, yeah, I should do that. All right. You want to give it to him? Uh, yeah, why not? Again, I feel like... Okay. I, I feel like, I I don't know, I'm just endeared to this episode, so I want to, which makes me I, biased. Yeah, I, I, do, I really did like this episode, so good. I mean, both the episodes we watched this week are good. Uh, okay, tip number 13. 30 years ago, the CIA would have killed for bugs as small as cell phones. They're the perfect improvised listening device. Unfortunately, they go through battery quick. So you have to, so blah, 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 blah. You can use an unused USB port to charge them if you hide it in a computer. I'm considering this practical because, like, it's one of those things where he kind of goes through a complicated, like, this is a way that you can do this thing. And, like, there's no reason you would ever do this. But if you had the skill set, 
this is like the specific place that you would put the cell phone in a computer to charge it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It really does assume that no one's going to need a USB port, though. I, I mean, yeah, I imagine like if it's a in place... In 2008, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, nowadays we're using every single USB port that we can find. Yeah, exactly. We got to plug all those holes. Um, finally, this is my tip number 14. To win a negotiation, you have to show that you're willing to walk away. And the best way to show that is to actually walk away. We've Thanks, talked about this. Yeah, exactly. It's just negotiation tactic, not yeah. spy tactics. Uh, but that was six practical tips. So nice job. So let's get into rating this episode. So was there spycraft over violence in terms of solving the case of the week? Yeah. Yes. They conned. For sure. They did some cons, man. They definitely did some cons. Um, did they have... Is there at least five practical versus passive spy tips in the voiceover? Yes, they got six, in fact. So they they overdid themselves. Uh, is there a distinct alias? Hell yes, Texas boy Davis. Big and also big Fiona's Tex Davis. weird. Big Tex Davis and also Fiona's like weird Cockney accent. And also and Charles Chuck Finley. Finley. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of Charles fin Finley, were the side characters used well, Fiona and Sam? Uh, yeah. Speaking of Fiona's Cockney accent. Fiona's Cockney accent. Also, she got to blow up a car, and Sam got to be Chuck Finley. Exactly. This was a great episode of Burn Notice. Yes. Is it a great episode of television? I don't know, Chris. What do you think? I really liked it. Um, I, I also really liked it. I think so, maybe. I mean, again, yeah, I think... Yes. Based on how we have rated other kinds of episodes. Yeah. I think one criteria for like a great episode of television in my head is this is an episode of television that I would show to someone who didn't know anything about Burn Notice and be like, here, this is this is Burn Notice. Yeah. I mean, it might be a little plot heavy, like the stuff about Carla, the stuff about, you know, the... That sort of stuff might be a little bit hard to explain. But yeah, I agree. This is a good solid, like, this is what Burn Notice can be episode. Yeah. All right. So episode three of season two is uh, not only a great episode of Burn Notice, but a great episode of television. And it has a yogurt. Coincidence. <laughs> well, yours has three, but we'll get to that. So thanks so much again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. VincentEL.bandcamp.com is where you can go to listen to more of that and not the insanely loud sirens outside my window right now. Uh, Chris, you have anything to say at the back of this episode? Uh, the book set pre-order is over, but we raised a lot of money for that. So I'm really thankful. If you were one of the people who bought one of our bo books, that's awesome. If not, you can still like buy a ebook of it, so that's great. Um, but yeah, beyond that, um, no, that's about it. Cool. Bye. Bye. Ugh. Can't even with you.